0: or you can email radio at vnntv.org.
1: I have a problem every year around MLK Day
2: because
1: Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., for some reason, has been treated as America's civil rights mascot. On this day, you'll have folks who would have never in their life marched with, agreed with, voted with anything he believed in. One of the biggest, biggest in the United States Congress. He had the audacity to send out a Dr. King quote. The march has begun. Every day we rise like the sun. We fight till the battle is won. Can you hear the footsteps? Listen, because we're coming like a...
3: And we're here on another level, another evening of live, exciting, inspiring conversations that you will not get on the main channels. Why? Because they're not plugged in like we are. We're here on another level. And I'm here with another amazing guest. She was here a couple of months ago, but she had COVID. So she was here, but she wasn't here. And it is none other than the illustrious Queen, Stacey Borden of New Beginnings Reentry Services Program her house, the house, in the house, 36 Gaston Street, in the hood. It's not really in the hood, like it's in Dorchester. But you know, when there's more than one of us, it becomes the hood. Even if we have doctorates, even if we're educated, even if we're millionaires, how does that work? But that's not what we're talking about tonight. But we kind of are, because we're talking about a group of people, no matter how well they do, no matter how educated they are, if they have any kind of mark on their criminal record, they may be totally discounted. It's people that have been formally incarcerated. We're gonna talk about the dilemma that they have trying to put their lives together no matter how many chances they really deserve, especially those innocent people. There are two and a half million people in the United States who are incarcerated, more than any other industrial company, country. And this is the land of the free and the home of the brave. <laughs> right, get your pens, your pencils, your papers. I'll be back with Queen Stacy Borden here on, a le- an, on another level, on another level. Don't go anywhere and go get a pizza or whatever. Stay there, because we've got information to build a nation. We'll be right back.
2: And name is called I'm a person in recovery. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about um, when I was deep in my active addiction how, you know, people used to make all these suggestions to me. And uh, I didn't want to change. I know that because it was familiar. And when I went to prison, you know, the evidence was just overwhelming that it wasn't working for me. So, as long as I don't use drugs and uh, I face my feelings on a daily basis, I think I'm going to be a better person. For that, everybody have a good day. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you.
4: God, grant us the serenity to accept the things we cannot change, the courage to change the things we can, and the wisdom
1: <laughs> to know the difference. Signing <laughs> sheet. <Slide laughs> <a seat. laughs>
2: I was born in Roger Man's Projects. Providence, Rhode Island, uh, and I started smoking crack cocaine at a really young age. When I was 14 years old, uh, I got my first charge, possession of cocaine. From that, you know, that use progressed and I found myself getting into trouble, you know, doing things like selling drugs and, you know, taking people's money for drugs and not returning the money. Debbie, I'll see you tonight. We'll talk later, okay? That's essentially, you know what I mean, the beginning of a a long, hard road of addiction, you know.
5: So Miko came um, from prison. What's up, Chris? Amos House was founded as a house of hospitality. We have a 90-day treatment program for men and women who are homeless. And from there, they can go into Uh, what we call our phase two housing. So we have permanent housing for about 200 people.
2: When I was released from prison, I wrote a letter probably like five months prior to being paroled to the Amos House, asking would the Amos House be willing to accept me?
5: Most of the folks that come to us have long histories of incarceration and addiction, and they're really trying to get their lives back on track.
2: Keep on moving. Keep on moving, Don't stop.
5: He um, started to work on our cleaning crew, and now he's actually working as a house manager in the men's 90-day program where he started.
2: Awesome, my dear.
5: And more recently, Miko has finished the education hours to become a certified peer recovery specialist.
2: I want to go into substance abuse field. I think that my past is not a liability, it becomes an asset because I have lived the life. When you talk
1: about fair licensing, when you talk about housing, when you talk about these type of things, there's still barriers for us. Right? You
5: know, we have lots of people here that can't get certain licenses. So there's a push to eliminate those barriers.
4: Okay, and I'll be out of group by like 1050, so
5: PJ did not come through our program, but she applied for a job here. She is the coordinator of our women's street outreach program.
4: Good morning, good morning, good morning. And then in the residential program, I also do facility um, three of the groups um, that we run here weekly focused around substance use. Think of the two most important things for you in your recovery, things you need to keep at the forefront. Myself and another colleague used the term that we're in recovery from like a lifestyle. So kind of like, you know, hanging with the wrong people, got in trouble a lot as a teen due to, you know, being around the wrong crowds, wrong people. I have been incarcerated twice. I actually served my 30-day sentence while pregnant with my daughter. And that was kind of like my turning point right there. I realized I was going to be like someone's mom, I was like, I, I can't do this, like I can't keep doing this. Like, I need to change my life. That's not what a mother looks like. If you can make it here and get through that, just like you said, you can make it you can make anyway because the
5: job- she will have a barrier to be able to getting her license and social work if we don't change the laws that deny access to certifications and licenses for folks like PJ because of her felony Another day sober. (laughs) We're trying to reduce recidivism, and then we put all these barriers to employment.
1: So how many people in this room are impacted by the
2: criminal justice system? That's the reason why uh, I'm advocating and I'm asking the state legislature to pass these bills, you know, to make it easy for me to be able to not only have quality of life, to have a purpose, to have a career, but also to help my community and give back.
4: Closing the door to so many opportunities due to someone's background, does not allow them the chance to have a sustainable income and make a life. Here, Rocky can chase you this way. It would mean everything for me to be able to, you know, not only be productive and reach my career goals and have a job that I love, um, but to be able to provide for my family. The sad truth is 68% of the people
3: who have been in prison will be back in prison within three years. 78% will be back in prison within five years. You have to know that the majority of people in prison probably pleaded out if they were black and brown and didn't have the money to get the right attorney to defend themselves. Most of the women in prison, when they are in prison, their families are in prison. You have broken up families again and it's mostly black and brown people. Now, we are not that high a percentage in the population of Boston or of America. Why are we going to jail at higher rates? It is not just because people are criminals. It is not just because people have committed crimes because too many people have been innocent and still did crazy time. Or even if they did a crime, if they were black or brown or dark skinned and poor and all of those things, chances are you weren't represented, you weren't in front of a, a jury of your peers. You, weren't, you didn't have the money to be able to go the mile and avoid cutting a deal. And that many people in black areas usually, systematically, have been discriminated against, segregated ag- against, and unlawfully, unjustly policed. And that's why the numbers are higher. It's a policy and a legislative issue when you're talking about incarcerating two and a half million people. Those are the ones that are incarcerated. Those aren't the high percentages of people who are actually involved in the criminal justice system in one way or the other. That last clip that you saw talked about the hurdles that people who have been involved in the criminal justice system, justly or not, incarcerated for three days, three months. Let's talk about Sandra Bland. She was innocent. Mm -hmm. She's dead. She was dead in three days, and they're still trying to figure out who that was. Let's talk about what's going on in this system which is another form of slavery. It really is. Slavery by another name. Welcome my guest, sister, queen, founder, executive director of New Beginnings Reentry Services Incorporated, Stacey Borden. How you doing? I'm wonderful. I, you know, I'm so blessed to be here. I, I, y'all don't know, but we go back. Our families go back. And a few days ago, I was stunned at the level of connection that we have throughout our lifetimes and through our our family times. Boston is nothing but a big town. But when you find out how deep the connections go and then how they're interwoven within a system that inherently is unjust, that's really designed to lock us up and keep us locked up because slavery, freedom from slavery, was never part of the plan. It was always about keeping us locked up. And so if people that claim that they're constitutional buffs, look at the 13th Amendment, that allows us to be killed and dogged and used until we're in the grave. Right. And so you have an amazing, amazing story. The more I talk about you, the more I found out about you. <laughs> I, I think you have a cape, you have like a superwoman cape in your closet no. from all this stuff that you're doing. And so for people that don't know you, um, you are the founder and executive director of New Beginnings Reentry Services Program, which is a home, a home, for t- up to 10 women, to help them reintegrate back to society. So I, I want you to tell a little bit about your story and then why you started this home. Because some mm. people don't know that. Even though you're there and you've been here and you've been doing the work, why did you start it and who are you, Stacy Borden?
0: That's a lot, and there's a long story in there. <laughs> we probably wouldn't have enough time.
3: We don't, because you and I talked for about three hours, four hours of this That's
0: right, and, that was, and ended up with the most gratifying laugh That we both needed. We both um, needed. And I thank you for that. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, I mean, I'm I'm just, I love when you say the hood. I'm from the hood. I come from down in the Dudley, Orchard Park area to Humboldt Ave, which um, was very troublesome growing up. You know all too well Boston Public Schools had really nothing to offer. There was no interest of us. As a lost child, I come from early sexual trauma, sexual abuse, and a rape at 18. Mm. And no one never really kind of, I don't remember being in school. That's the darkness I was in, and the trauma that I was in. And I kind of just existed, Sharon, mm. until I found a relationship, a love of my life, which was cocaine. Mm. And, um, and that was very early, as early as 11 years old. And I built a relationship around that just to kind of feel normal. Mm -hmm. I was looking for some normalcy. You can't come from an abnormal experience to seek something normal. And so that had become a part of my life until it brought me into the criminal justice system. And the criminal justice system was really unfair and unjust. Nobody ever asked me what was wrong. They just kept seeing me as a piece of paper Mm -hmm. and um, part of their labor union and sending me into the prison prison system, and I didn't know no better. I don't know why I felt it was okay to keep doing what I was doing, stealing and writing checks and, you know, causing harm in my own community because I didn't realize until later that hurt people hurt people. I didn't intentionally choose to hurt people. I thought it was hurting buildings and banks and Mm. checkbooks and, you know, and um, it wasn't until this last 2006, I ended up back in there again. I got out on a bracelet, but the courts wasn't having it. There was 15 warrants set on me all over Massachusetts, and I had to face that. I had to understand what responsibility and accountability really meant. I didn't get it, even then. Mm. I didn't get it until two sisters in the prison system kind of took me under that wing and was like, enough is enough now. You're coming in and out of here, revolving door. You think you're gonna go home one day, you're wrong. You're gonna do something that's gonna end up in here for the rest of your life. Mm. Now, you know, Sharon, growing up in the neighborhood, you hear people went to jail for life, but you really don't, yeah, kidnapped, gone. But but then when you see them often in the prison, you're not really believing that they're gone for the rest of their life. Mm. Until that young sister said that to me, it hit me. And I'm like, you're in here for the rest of your life? Like you're never coming home? Well, thirty years had gone by already. I had been seeing her. Mm-hmm. I had been going in and out of Framingham since 1982. Wow. Well, and <clears throat> and I'm like, something's not right. My family couldn't handle it. I was in trauma. My mental illness was sky high, and I I didn't know how to save myself. I didn't, know, you know, I wasn't listening to family. I wasn't taking the cues or the mm-hmm. direction. You know, nobody could understand what was wrong because I didn't know how to articulate it. Mm. And then the system puts you a woman in a prison with a bunch of men and you're locking me behind the door at their will. And you can't defend yourself. And I can't defend myself. And the racism behind it, Mm. it's just, it's a whole bunch in that. And then a sister came in my cell and she was just like me. And to hear her story from the age 12 of having sexual assault, But they brought her to court as a victim. Hmm. Suffolk County District Attorney brings a young girl in and forces her to testify against the abuser. In front of the abuser. In front of the abuser. That for me was it. From this sister to that sister, to me going into court saying, you know what, i got to get this sentence over with. i got to do something different. Mm -hmm. And when I made that decision and I walked into court, Judge Coffey out of Quincy, who is now in District Court, was an amazing judge. I -hmm. can say that today because he humanized me in that Mm -hmm. court. He looked at me and asked me, what is wrong with you? What do you need help with? You have destroyed your life. Wow.
3: And how old were you then when he said that?
0: 47.
3: So you were, you were pushed into an indoctrinated system, and you weren't even a
0: teenager. Every probation officer, every court official, except for my father. Mm. And my father worked in Boston Superior Court. Mm. He would bust in the courtrooms and tell the judge, this is my child. And mm. he would section me. He did the best he knew how to do. He would section me into programs. I went into institutions. He tried his best. Nobody didn't know how to handle what happened to me, and I again I didn't know how to articulate it. Mm. And so you know you come from a system, you come from a school system, you come from a societal system, you come from churches. All these people are telling you what you should become, how you should act, it's what not you helping. should. But nobody's kind of asking, well, what's the matter? Right. How you feeling?
3: How about you what's doing?
0: Do you know, like, just don't even ask because and you're so, a kid. Because I'm a kid. Mm-hmm and you know pushed into
3: an adult system <clears throat> mm. and so, so
0: that for me
3: mm-hmm.
0: was my opportunity manipulatively I was saying I better listen to this judge since he's I've got his attention let me give him everything that happened mm-hmm. what do I need right now I need to go back in and learn more from them sisters because the state can't handle the state couldn't help none of the programs was helping they, they weren't for me. Mm. They weren't my people. Hmm. They weren't, there was no connection. They I couldn't, couldn't talk to you. And nor could I talk. It was always about them mm. or about what I should be doing. Mm-hmm. Not, not my inner feelings. I was suppressing my feelings so deep that it was repressed to the point where I didn't know how to regurgitate it. I didn't know how to, you know, peel the layers. Mm. I just couldn't. And so... I said to the judge, I need to go back and do the CRA program. Spectrum program was working, and I wanted to go back. And I wanted to go back to them sisters who were really guiding me in life, not in the prison, but in life. But and even though
3: they were incarcerated, you knew that's where you were going to learn. Yeah. That was, your, that was
0: your schoolhouse. That was my savior. Mm-mm. And I didn't understand that years prior. Like, why are these women up here laughing all the time? Why is everybody so happy? I didn't understand connecting camaraderie I didn't understand sisterhood I didn't understand programming Mm -mm. and the more they was using their voice the more I learned how to use mine Mm. and the more I learned how to get up in that law library and understand what the law was what they were creating for us and I'm saying this is unacceptable and something happened I call it a maturated state in that moment in that year I went to court 64 times for what the same thing for all those warrants, and judges weren't giving up. And so I said, okay, it's time for me to understand that accountability. Mm. 64 times I felt, or maybe I understood then the slave mentality. Plantation. The plantation, like you got Essex County Suffolk County Norfolk county. North all these counties are coming in and dropping the shackles and they're waiting for Whatever county you're going to court and I and I heard it and I felt it and then you're shackled and you are put on these Transportation vans and the drivers don't care Mm-mm. and I was shuffled around in the back shackled to ten and 11 other women who were sick like I was nine months prior pregnant Withdrawing from alcohol and heroin, and nobody cared. Mm. And I'm like, this is so unacceptable. And then you're brought into each court like a chopping block, like you're getting to get sold. Mm. And it was a sale. You don't have a bail in this court, but you got a person well, on that court. You got $2,500 in that court. You're got. you making money. And I and something just happened to me, and I was like, oh, my God, what am I doing? Am I allowing this to happen to me, or am I allowing the government to do this? Are you helping them do it? I'm helping them do it and so I made my mind up 2010 came I said you know what I'm gonna get out I'm gonna learn some things I'm gonna listen to my sisters I made a promise to them two sisters and some other women that I was gonna get out and create something different so we never have to go back to prison again we don't have to endure that brutal culture mm. that most people don't know nothing about even though they say you commit to crime you should do the time well how about it's not a crime it's a transgression how about this? Something that we didn't understand we were doing to survive. That's right.
3: Well, especially because a lot of the crimes, economic crimes. Yes. And then when when the majority, the majority of black people were actually had both of their parents in the house up to the seventies, mid seventies. That's right. And then drugs got dropped in, on top of the Vietnam War and everything, ripping out the men. Yeah. Welfare policy came in. It's like, oh, yeah. we can give you this housing, but you can't have your man there. They didn't do that yeah. to anybody else. They did it to us. That's right. And then you have between the drug addiction and removing the man out of the house, the economic pressures that we couldn't get out of because of racism and discrimination, and you've got all these women that are raising these kids, mm. and then you've got the three strikes crime and the whole drug war, which was really a war against us, yeah. and they use drugs. There's still people. There are still people in jail for marijuana crimes and marijuana is legal. Mm. Let me say it again. There are major industries that are making money
0: off of something now that is legal. Now, I can't process that because I don't know that much of the law. I just can't process that the federal government won't legalize it, but yet you have taxes you're paying to the federal government to open up a dispensary. But then you're still holding our brothers and sisters on natural life sentences in the federal system. I can't process that. Not to mention the fact that it has been proven
3: that the federal government, the U.S. government, was responsible for bl- planting drugs in the hood in the first place.
0: Well, you know, let's go back to Tookie Williams. He told the story. It's so much to this, Sharon, it's, it's just, it's, it's so But you decided bad.
3: to be part of the solution and you opened yeah. this house and it wasn't easy yeah. because there was actually opposition the community that yeah. looked like us yeah from helping us tell tell about that story
0: that was brutal that was that was brutal i was misdirected by um some people in this in the um, city hall mm. of the wrong community association president and for a whole year i was trying to connect to figure it out but at the same time i'm trying to abide by the state regulations with you know the isd office with American Disabilities Act, if I'm going to open up a residential, you had to go through the planning and development, you had to go through everything. And the system came at me as if I was a gentrifier. Mm. Now I'm like gentrifier, now I know I lost my apartment because somebody bought it and I had to leave because I wasn't paying from $1,200 a month to 22 I understand that process, but I don't have no money. Mm-mm. So when I did a presentation and a funder purchased that house and said they believed in us and they believed in the work, we decided it needs to be in our own community. Did I know I was going to have so much resistance? People didn't want us. Mm. They said, oh, you all are nothing but a bunch of and thieves and we don't want you here. And I'm like, wait a minute. First I'm a gentrifier and a developer. Now I'm a and pretty much a bum. Mm. And how about we talk the real talk about the majority of our community that has a family member incarcerated? If you hadn't been directly impacted, you are indirectly impacted because it has impacted all of us. That's right. Drug addiction, mass incarceration, alcoholism. We got an alcohol liquor store on every other block. Legally. Legal. So let's talk about that. If... If we come from the community, why do you keep sending us out as if we can't come home? Our children are here. Our parents are here. That was another statistic. I I knew that
3: happened, but I didn't know the average number of miles. The average number of miles when someone is incarcerated, depending if they're male or female, is anywhere from 100 to 160 miles away from your family. That's right. But all the research shows that your family needs to be part of your recovery and reintegrating you into the community. And the times that you're locked up, your family can't even, a lot of these families do not have transportation or the places where they're located don't have transportation, you have to have a car, they don't have yeah. a busing system, a train system. That's right. And so they put these, put people, our people, our community, our family members, out in these towns that have an economy based on the prison system. Isn't that something? And
0: all the funding goes to that community.
3: <clears throat> we got it twisted. <laughs> well, mean, it's not us, we got it straight.
0: Well, we got it twisted because we don't want us here. Oh, that's true. Right? So they think that their property value is going to go down. And I'm like, we put a lot of money in that house, which brings your value up, for one. Mm -hmm. We got employers coming in that feeds the community. If we had some meters, people want me to shut up about meters, but if we had some meters, then the employees could pay the meters. The meters should be going back into the community, just like every other community where they have corrections. Right, These CEOs and halfway houses and all that goes into, they shop at those stores, they go to their gas stations. Why can't we do the same thing?
3: Because it ain't about us.
0: Well, we're gonna make it about us. If our people are incarcerated at the rate they are, they gotta come home. And we're here to help our people reintegrate back into their families and community. Mm-hmm. They gotta come home.
3: You know, it's interesting. Most people don't realize the typical average sentence is ten to fifteen years, which means they're coming home. They're coming home, and most people don't realize. I mean, and it's no comparison, right? But the shutdown from the pandemic, where people just had to stay at home and put a mask yeah, on, yeah. had people flipping out. Yeah. And so I tell people, well, imagine you're in a cell that's maybe a little bit bigger than your bathroom it's that you not have to share bigger. with somebody else. Yeah. For years. Yeah. Years. You have to share showers, share bathrooms, share everything. You have no more humanity. they are stripping your clothes.
0: Wait a minute. There's no shower in a cell.
3: Mm -mm. No. Toilet. That's right. And that's not private. That's right. You sit up there doing whatever you do. Everybody knows it. They've got cameras. They've got everything. If you get raped, you get beat up, you get shanked, whatever it is, it's on camera. Let's
0: even go back to the language. How about the word inmate? You're mating people. You're forcing it. You're putting them in a cell to mate. It's mm. derogatory. The mm. term is ugly mm. and demeaning, and we're not inmates. Human mm. beings are natural to come together, especially long periods away from each other, and you're forcing it. And you're doing it. A lot of people getting locked up during their adolescence, and they're trying to figure you're it out. You're taking away from their procreation time too. It's a, it's a lot. Mm. I mean, i get real passionate about this. If I just understood something prior, but I didn't. And I can't have any regrets. Mm. And all I can do now is try to keep us and myself enlightened so we never go back. It's a system that needs to be unfolded. People say, well, what do you do with the people stays?" Well, I don't know. The only solution I have is to try to do diversion and try to keep people out of them mm. and bring people out of it. Totally. Reentry. Completely,
3: completely, and restore them, which is restorative justice. It's restorative justice.
0: Well, you know, I, I have a theory that we should start with transform harm. Mm-hmm. How do we? What does heal? that mean? It means we're going to transform the harm we've caused, right? It's about accountability. There's key words here. Restorative, yes, but restorative is two people coming together, or the families and victims, or the perpetrator and the victims. That comes after an individual. Mm. has the opportunity to heal from the harm that was caused to them. So then they can see what accountability means of the harm they've caused. And then restorative justice happens. How about we think about that instead of continuing the indoctrinated thought that you did the crime, you should do the time. You know,
3: there's a, um, a story that I read a long time ago in the African village where, you know, a young man committed a crime and everybody in the village came around him in a circle and told him yeah. all the good things about him. Yeah, yeah, you right? messed up and you did this, but we're looking at the good things that's in right. you. And that's why you're valuable to us and we need you here. We need you to correct that behavior, because we need you and we that's need right. all the good things in
0: There's you. There's other communities that do that. There's other communities, they have their own processes. They have their own ambulances. They police themselves. Mm-hmm. They do this. that village, that communal process. But we have a whole different system. We go in these court systems that predominantly are white. Mm-hmm. The whole racial discriminatory practices, the patterns that's been going on for decades. Some would say, or some judges say, I didn't even realize I'm doing it. I'm like, they're part of the system by the problem. How do you think that you sit on that bench, white, white clerk, white court officers, white district attorney, and often white defense attorneys? And we're standing there dumbfounded because we don't know any of your languages. But you don't know that you're practicing discriminatory practices, Mm -mm. disproportionate sentences, Mm -mm. wrongful convictions, that your prosecutors are acting in a prosecutorial misconduct manner? Hiding evidence is called exculpatory evidence. They're pushing it away. They know they just got that discovery. And now they're going to hide it because they want the win? Is this about your career and losing someone's life? Or is it about the reality of what's really going on here? That you don't have to sentence that young person. Could be an alternative. And judges have the discretion. When are we going to talk about that? But it comes
3: down to not even seeing us as a human being since we've been here in this country. Yeah. um, And still having that mentality. And so hopefully you still have the mentality to hang with us. Got some information that's really, really crucial. And we've got some information about a community resource fair that's happening Saturday, August 13th from twelve noon yeah. until three PM. It's in that lot. I know y'all know. In Uptown, beautiful uptown Grow Hall, yeah. right next to the post office. It's a vacant lot. And so the Community Resource Fair, Transforming Communities and Creating New Beginnings, is this Saturday. See, we're live, so we can say this Saturday. And yes. it'll be we'll be we re- re- cable cast before that, so we can say this Saturday so most people know somebody or maybe even themselves or connected to someone who has dealt with the criminal justice system so the community resource fair is for the community of Grove Hall in Dorchester and it's specifically geared towards providing services and resources and information to the formerly incarcerated members of our community yeah. so I want to make it personal I want to make it personal see my yeah. father my first memories of my dad were at two years old with seeing him in prison and wondering why he wasn't coming home with the rest of us. And he didn't come out until I was eight years old. And then he was murdered at 13. But he has influenced my life so much that this is the work that I do. This is the work that Stacy does. And when I thought about all of the people, because I'm helping her do the resource fair, and yeah. what do I look like reaching out to strangers if I'm not calling my own my cousins and my family, yeah. It's like, I'm doing this for other people, but I got people in my family, it's like, you know what, you should come out. And I also ask them, what is it that you need when you came out? Mm-hmm. What was the difference in you trying to get it versus someone who didn't have a court record? What was the difference? What did you have to do? Mm-hmm. What are the hoops that you had to jump over just to be, not even level playing ground, just to figure out what's going on? Because you haven't been in what's been going on for a while. Mm-hmm. So we want to bring you to another level. We got some information for you. In addition to talking about the community resource fair for everybody, that means everybody, Saturday, August 13th from 12 to noon, next to Twelve Uptown, three. beautiful Uptown, Grove Hall, Post Office, 02121. This is on a level, on another level, bringing you to another level. And got some more information about formerly incarcerated and convicted people's movement and Terrell Jackson. Don't go anywhere. Check out this clip.
1: My name is Sandra Cole. I live out in the Hazelwood area. Um, I'm executive director of CORE Law. CORE Law stands for people of origin, rightfully loved and wanted. Um, I collaborate with um, Decarcerate PA and um, also with Up. I'm here to talk about what Charles was just talking about, how we need to educate educate our people about what's going on in these prisons and just from experience like Charles hit it on the head like you know what I mean we, we have to stop it because I, I figure it's like a Jim Crow, Crow rule you That's know right. what I mean This a slavery now That's you know right, what I mean the jails have become a business anymore mm-hmm. you know what I mean you figure you know the phone calls are three dollars and some change you know you gotta um in order to put money on the books, you got to give them money to put money on the books, you know. um, My husband, his name is, my fight came from Terrell Johnson, who's been in jail now for 17 years for a crime he didn't commit. Um, They offered him a a deal back in 2009. They said, if you take this deal, we'll let you out. Uh, He said, I'm not taking a deal because I didn't do the crime. So. It's 2012 now, he's still in there, and they just keep postponing his hearing. So um, our fight is support, like we need support. And I think that we need to stop creating wills when there's already wills already created. Like there are so many organizations that comes together all the time. And I think that if we go in by force, like helping each other, They'll see that we're serious about our missions. Right. You know what I mean? But we gotta stand together because if we don't stand for something, we're gonna fall for anything. And at this point, I think we've been we've been we've been coming out of that fall. You know what I mean? We definitely been coming out of that fall, but we gotta we, we gotta continue and we gotta come stronger. So if you got a friend to come to these rallies, again but we need support. We need support and we need to hold the um the system accountable. You know what I mean? Because we keep voting these people in or not voting at all. And then a lot of our people who was in jail think that they're not allowed to vote. So we need to educate them and let them know that they are allowed to vote. You know what I mean? Because a lot of them think, oh, because they got felonies that they can't vote and their voices can't be heard. But that's not true. So we just ask them for more support and more unity. Thank you.
3: Thank you so much. And, um, The impact of that story and the other stories that you're about to hear, think about it. These are people's families, fathers, mothers, grandfathers, grandmothers, children, connected children, family and friends. They've been yanked out of a community that loves them. When I do these shows, the reason why I do them is because these stories, I mean, we saw, you know, major networks, Washington Post, the own network, but the bottom line is because we put pressure on the system and there's so many of us that have these stories. These stories have been shown, but there are so many people that are invisible. It's so easy to look at the coverage of mass and cast and think, "Oh, that's somebody else's problem," and they get angry when you can't find a parking spot at Stop and Shop. I'm just calling on Stop and Shop; they're not paying me. Um, or you can't find what you consider a safe place. Domingo Sturossa, Marla Smith, mm-hmm. and Jahida have been fighting for over six years way before this current mayor was in there. It was two separate administrations that people were dying and they got together and got people together and they blocked off Mass and cast. They stopped it and caused it to be an issue in the last three elections. And then still, if you drive past there, there are people in tents, there are people dying, people taking drugs, people being sexually assaulted and stabbed and shot and overdosing and you can't just say, not in my backyard, which is what people try to say to Stacy. When you have people out there, and you don't like the fact that they're yelling about what's going on. Domingo De Rosa has the Boston Bengals, which is a football team for young people, in a park that's right near Mass and Cass, and he got tired of picking up needles that his kids could get stuck on every single day, every day, people having sex, people shooting up, people doing inappropriate things in front of kids. Because we always say, well, we need to have more stuff for the kids. And then we don't support those programs that are actually part of the solution. New Beginnings Reentry Services needs your help. No, they're not continually funded by the government. She's hustling, I know she's hustling because I'm out there with her. And this Community Resource Fair this Saturday is a hustle that has brought together over 40 organizations to say this is what we have, for us, we're not waiting for people to save us. We've got people in our community like Stacy Borden that are phenomenally helping our people. Ain't nobody coming to save us. It's for us, by us, because we need us. So back, welcome back to the last few moments that we have. We've got about 10 minutes left. Stacy, why did you decide to do this? You're so giving, and yet you had to keep giving and keep giving, and sometimes trying to fill up a well from someplace else that you can continue to give. Mm-hmm. So two things in our last few moments. What do people need? What are, the, what are the obstacles that they have to overcome so that they don't go back to jail?
0: Well, you know, often we think that, especially mass and casts and people that come out of prison need housing. Well, we need housing, of course. It's a fundamental right. But there's a barrier to that. Most people that are mass and cast and most people that come into our program are fully incarcerated. And we know that these housing authorities are putting a block on them because of their quarries. Right? Even though the quarry was reformed. I'm not a reformist. I don't believe in reforming because you didn't reform anything. Mm-hmm. There's still laws in act, mm-hmm. And um, we're having a hard time with even filling out an application. So. We believe in programming. We believe that if we can help the young ladies, and we help with some men, but we have a home for women, we start the process of, you know, job interviews, mock interviews for housing because they're going to have a, an appeal. They're going to be denied, and then we got to go up for an appeal. But even
3: isn't there? not to cut you off, but even... I mean you say it cavalierly, but there are things that people take for granted. If you've been locked up, you may not even be familiar with the internet. You may not even know that most job applications are on a smartphone, a cell phone, or a computer. Because you're used to walking in there and filling out a paper application. That's right. And then talking to a person, and that's not the case. So you've got to navigate your way around the technology. Well, and isn't there an initial shock when you just come out and it's like yeah. the world is
0: different? And that's why I said people think it's just housing. Mm. It's not. Let's talk about the trauma. Let's talk about some people who hadn't even had an apartment or a home before. You know what I'm saying? Some people have come from a lot, a lot of traumatic experiences, neglect, domestic violence, sexual abuse. How about we house them and they have some severe flashbacks? and they commit suicide. Some people have suicide ideation. Mm. Some people have had attempts of suicide in the prison.
3: And then go back to the other thing that you said. I remember there was a big transition between hospitals taking care of people that have been diagnosed with mental illness, first then just dumping them on the street and then they end up
0: in the prisons. That's right. And that's not a How do we do that to human beings? How about we give them the nurturing, the love, the services, and provide them programming and mental health, Mm -hmm. trauma-informed care, substance abuse services, to get them stable enough to have a job, to prepare them for job, workforce development or career development. How about we prepare them to say that you can learn financial literacy and computer literacy learn budgeting and saving so you could have that apartment and be sustainable and too many people don't even have a high school diploma that's or the right. equivalent and then
3: correct me if i'm wrong at one point you could go to college and take college classes in prison they've eliminated that with budget cuts right
0: and you know they just did that and we're saying how could you do that we're saying a whole bunch of stuff. How about we even go back to, Governor Baker just vetoed the moratorium bill that hundreds of organizations, the National Council for Incarcerated and Formerly Incarcerated Women and Girls, Families for Justice is Healing. There's a few organizations that started the, the fight to not build a new women's prison. Got some senators aboard, Senator Comerford, Rep Tyler, uh, Senator Eldridge, Liz Miranda, all these people came aboard to say, "Hey, maybe we shouldn't build a new prison if our numbers for are women. low for women. For women, if the numbers are low, we're one of the third states with low incarceration of women. So why are we spending another one hundred and seventy million dollars to build a new women's wait, prison? Wait, wait. one hundred seventy million. It's fifty million supposedly to spend it, but really the budget is one hundred and seventy. Why are we even talking about one hundred and seventy million dollars? We asked." to allow us to do the work we're doing, like I'm doing, New Beginners Reentry Services, to help stop recidivism. And explain what that is to people. That means we're giving them, providing them the services that they need and deserve so they can lessen themselves for going back to prison. There you go, okay. Right? And so, if we have the opportunity to do that, which we've been doing it, that's why the numbers are low. But you still wanna build a prison, so there's a moratorium bill, Andrea James wrote a bill and said, hey, just stop, put it on hold for five years. Mm. Let's see what we can do in the community. It went all the way to the Senate, passed the House and Senate, and the governor just vetoed it. Mm. He didn't just veto it, he said it's not gonna happen, and you're not gonna have no cost calls. The families are paying a lot of money on these phone calls from prisons to stay connected. You're forcing a mother to feed her children that she has at home or put money on the phone to talk to her child in prison. Mm. Right? And so he not only did that, but he also upped the ante with 58A's and said, we're holding everybody on dangerousness, Heron, if you hold a gun, if you're in a domestic violence, if you try to commit a robbery, and we don't even know if that's the right person. There's called a process Mm. in the court system, Mm. right? Guilty or not guilty, you have to not be guilty, but you're already putting them as guilty if you're holding them on a 58A until their trial? That means no bail. Like, we lost on all ends with this governor. How do you do that to and a And he's not baby? running for re-election. It's other and people. And he's not, and the numbers are still low. So now, because the numbers are low, with this racism practices, you're gonna allow the numbers to go back up again? Well, I'm too. trying to figure that out, why? Listen, Boston College just did a study on gun possession. And they, and they came back with the white young men having more guns than the black young men in mm-hmm. the black community. But the black community are the ones who get held indefinitely for a gun charge. Or killed. And don't even know if the gun was ever used. Mm-hmm. And so why aren't we taking the gun and giving them a fine and telling them to come back and get it when you get a permit? You do that in the white community. Mm-hmm. You have white communities. These white young men are going to shooting ranges and hunting as young as 15. Do Younger. they have gun permits? Younger. I don't think so. Yeah. And let's not forget the Boston College study. So so there it goes. How do we even continue to talk about that? How do we even talk about Judge Gantz's racial disproportionate sentences that he and Harvard University have come up to and showed the practices that's been going on. And didn't he do that while he was dying?
3: Because the study was, was completed dying. afterwards.
0: And, and thank God for Justice uh, Kimberly Budd, who said, let's keep this going. Mm-hmm. Let's keep going on a round table and keep discussing it. So some of these judges, And district attorneys can hear and see the practices that they've been engaging in Mm. for decades.
3: Which brings me to another point. We've got like a few minutes left, which always happens, right? So (laughs) I have to have you back again. (laughs) There is an election now where the district attorneys are going to be decided, and they both look like men of color, uh, Ricardo Arroyo, (laughs) and Kevin Hayden. Those are the two. Mm -hmm. And then you've got the sheriff's race. Sandy Klickstey, and Sheriff Steve Tompkins, people of color. Then you've got Attorney General, Andrea Campbell, Quentin Palfrey, and the one with the three names, I'm so sorry, (laughs) I forget her name, but you know, uh, I'll correct that, just not tonight. So, but my point is that we've got an election where we can actually choose the people that have the policies that we need to turn this around. But people have to pay attention. The primaries is September, the election is eleven uh, uh, November, uh, November second. So you've got these um, systems because you listen to this and you go, well, what can I do about it? You can look at the legislation and you can write your elected official and say, this has stopped. This has to stop. You can lobby Verizon and all these telephone companies that you may be paying your money to and say, yeah, this is this has got to stop. And this needs to stop. Yeah. Um, you can come out Saturday, August thirteenth. From 12 to 3, you heard what I said. You can put your money where your mouth is because this could happen to anybody, whether you are guilty or innocent in this country, and you've got to know that. Um, The last few words, Stacey, about how people can get involved in this mission, whether they're related or formerly incarcerated, or how can people help?
0: Let's say, you know, if if you are formerly incarcerated or have someone directly impacted by the criminal justice system, the whole vision is for our formerly incarcerated community to see all the organizations and resources that we have visually in one day. And more so, if our elected officials are coming, we want them to see just what we're asking for. They get budgets every year, whoever gets in office. We hope that our progressive people Mm -hmm. get in office and follow, especially the district attorney's office, follow Rachel Rollins' lead of what she wasn't gonna do and incarcerating us at a mile a minute and giving us more treatment and programming. Mm -hmm. But we're hoping that the elected officials can see that these are the organizations that are on the ground doing the work and therefore they should be investing and making sure that the budget goes into the community. Mm -hmm. That's the point of this and more so, we need mental health services. We don't talk about that enough. We're missing the point somewhere. And so we're hoping that people come out and support. We hope that people will come out and know that these reentry services and programs work and they're much needed and we need funds. We need the support.
3: Thank you again, Queen Stacy Borden. And thank you for being here with us this evening. Thank you. It's been On Another Level, Saturday, August 13th, from 12 to 3, right next to the post office in beautiful Uptown Grove Hall. Take care of yourself and each other. God bless.
5: The
2: preceding commentary does not reflect the views of the staff and management of WBCA or the Boston Neighborhood Network. If you would like to express another opinion, you can address your comments to the Boston Neighborhood Network at 3025 Washington Street, Boston, Mass. 02119. Attention LP 102.9 FM. If you would like to arrange a time for your own commentary, call WBCA at 617-708-3241 or email us at radio at bnntv.org.